Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Kelly Starrett. And I'm Juliette Starrett. And you're listening to the Ready State Podcast. You got it! You better stop it! This episode of the Ready State Podcast is brought to you by Sleep Me. Most people don't know, but you and I live in a shed. It's a really cold shed. We live in an old mid-century modern house. It's not that old, but it's a mid-century modern house. And it was built in this California style. It's made style. of balsa wood. It is. With, everyone has a window to the deck, which is so beautiful. Which is great in the summer. And in the winter, it's real cold. It's cold. So our house has gotten cold. And one of the things that I've been doing of late is I have been jacking my chili pad, send it commands via the app. And guess what it does? It wakes me up in the morning by getting very warm. I've been waking up at a hundred and I'm so warm. Wait, so and my you're body saying feels you good. would like go to sleep at 50 degrees and wake up no, at a hundred no, degrees? Too, it's too powerful for that. Yeah. I'm sleeping at 78 degrees. And then in the morning it starts to wake me up right when our cat starts shouting at us to wake up. And what people don't realize is that you can really use this temperature to manipulate waking up, cooling down. You don't need an alarm. Your bed can be an alarm. And it's so great. I feel so good. Instead of waking up like an ice cube in our house, I now wake up like a baby, all cozied up. Head over to sleep.me slash TRS to learn more and save off the purchase of any new Cube, Uller, or Doc Pro sleep system. There is an offer available exclusively for Ready State podcast listeners and only for a limited time. That's sleep.me slash TRS to take advantage of our exclusive discount and wake up like Kelly, refreshed every day. Like a baby. On this episode of the Ready State Podcast, we are tickled to introduce you to the one and only Lindsay Dyer, professional athlete, skiing icon, illustrator, and as you'll hear, new mother. Lindsay is incredible for lots and lots of reasons. She won the Free Ski Overall Extreme Skiing Tour seven straight times was the first woman on the cover of Free Skier Magazine and named Skier of the Year multiple times by Powder Magazine. You may have actually seen her also on Chevy, Jeep, and GoPro commercials. You know, no big deal. <laughs> she also hosts the popular outdoor podcast, Showing Up with Lindsay Dyer. At 21, she co-founded SheJumps.org to increase participation of women in the outdoors. And then this is also notable. She produced and directed the first all-woman action sport ski film. Pretty incredible. Pretty Faces raised 113000 on Kickstarter, and shifted the whole film industry. As an artist, you'll see Lindsay's photography in National Geographic magazine. Her artwork's all over the place. She is a hardworking new mother. J-Star, what did you think about this conversation with this incredible person? Well, I just love getting to know her a little more than we already did. And I think, of course, not surprisingly, my favorite part is just learning a little more about how she's navigating being new mom, both physically and mentally, but also how she's thinking about going back into being a professional skier and being a new mom and sort of the inherent conflict that comes with that both internally and that she's, you know, hearing from her community at large. There is a a little bit of a penchant on this podcast where we seem to in interview women who are changing industries for like, think about Rachel Balkovec was on here. You know, we've got uh, our big wave surfer, Bianca, yeah. like Rebecca Rush. Rebecca Rush. I can't believe Lindsay is another woman who her career seems inevitable. And yet when you talk to her, it's not inevitable at all. She's been knocking down walls and creating a path for women behind her that's going to change the future of women in skiing sports. We are just huge fans of Lindsay just personally. And we're really excited to share this conversation with all of you and think you're going to enjoy it a lot. Ladies and gentlemen, Lindsay Dyer. Hey, Ready State listeners, if you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes to help others find our show. Lindsay, welcome, welcome to the Ready State podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Yay, Juliet, I have so many questions, even for you alone. 
Yeah, step aside, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just step off here. Uh, we are rolling into another North American winter here. Um, triple El Nino. Is that right? Or El Triple Nino? That we're saying La Nina, El Nina. We got some potentially some snow on the horizon here in California. Potentially, the last time you and I were hanging out chatting was about a year ago, October, I think, maybe October, November. But some things have uh, changed for you a little bit. I can't wait to get into that. Yeah. First, tell us where you are, and sort of set the scene for our listeners about Lindsay Dyer. So I'm sitting in Drafticorn Studios, obviously. <laughs> Looking out, it's like afternoon. We have a bit of snow on the ground. We had snow, yeah, like a week ago. It was super good, and it's been high and dry since then. It's a beautiful afternoon, and yeah, I, I just pumped so that I could have like an hour and a half away from my new baby <laughs> to be here with you guys and uh, and wash my hair. Oh, my God. It's the little things, isn't it? <laughs> okay, well, tell us a little bit about that. I mean, since we've seen you, you've become a mother, and tell us about that and your baby and anything that comes to mind because that's a major transition in life. Yeah, it has definitely been super profound, just like they say, right? All the things they say. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I feel like I made my best friend. It's so cool. She's so rad. And even though I'm getting up, it's we're five months in and I'm getting up four times a night still. I love it. I'm, I'm such a sleeper and yet like it's okay. She like holds my hand and we hang out a lot and she's just the best. She smiles and you can't really get a parent going, huh? They just won't shut up. That's, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> you just don't know until you're there. You know, I think that's really the magic. Tell me, you know, you have spent a big chunk of your life doing rad stuff, skiing big lines, being an advocate for women in the sport of skiing. How does having a daughter shape that or has it changed your perspective on sort of your position and what you're doing versus maybe having a son? Cause I only have girls. I only know what that's about. I don't think it's changed my position. Yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> like, but I, I don't, I don't feel different is what I'm saying. I don't feel like in terms of uh, advocating for women, any different. No. Well, you know, one of the things that we have seen with all of our, you know, we have a lot of friends who are rad sick and then they have babies and they turn out to be more rad because they've got more meaning in their life. Not that you have to have a baby in your life to have meaning, but it really is a focuser of powers. That was brilliant. You're absolutely right in that. It, absolutely. I've become much more focused, much more directed, have feeling like much more meaning, but also it's kind of shown me how much I love skiing, love being outside. I still have really big goals. I guess I, I assumed that I old old school thinking of like oh well you're supposed to be over over it by the time you have kids and nope. <laughs> they'll, they'll be your life and you're not going to want any of that outdoor stuff anymore and you're supposed to grow up and and in fact I want all of that even more and I'm more committed to it and I can't wait to bring her out there and and it's really focused me I'm terrible time you know I, I'm an artist and uh, so it's really made me focus and I'm grateful for that it's making me a better person so I just want to go, you know, because obviously you're present, especially with a five-month-old baby is probably largely about having a five-month-old baby. But I want to go like way back in time for our listeners who aren't familiar with you and your work and just tell us a little bit about your background. Like, where did you grow up? How did you get into skiing? How did you get into being an artist? How do you manage all those things together? Just give us a backstory. 
in an hour. (laughs) (laughs) 20 minutes on this one. No, (laughs) we have more important things to talk about. Let's start with this. Were your parents skiers? Were your parents? Yeah, like, how, how'd you get into skiing? How'd you get into skiing? And then how'd you get into like serious skiing? Okay. Mom and dad met on the mountain. Beautiful run called Limelight. <laughs> she came from Michigan, taught herself how to ski. First person in her family to put herself through college. She's amazing. <laughs> and grew up in Michigan and made her way to Sun Valley dad met her on a mountain. He was uh, trying to be a pro racer out of Washington, paying his own way. He was a downhill skier on the downhill circuit and was quite handsome. So he was, he was living the dream. And then I came along. Fast and handsome. He's my hero, of course. Right. So then, so I grew up ski racing, grew up in Sun Valley, Idaho. The racing part really didn't make sense to me. The competing against other people, going around uh, gates for time, but it was really fun. And all my best memories are like singing songs on the chairlift, being obnoxious as a kid. That's where I really grew to love it. And as a, you know, as a place for community and then experienced my first real flow state pretty young. And that was really like, whoa, what, that was something. Were you racing when that happened or were you just skiing? It was a powder day. I remember everything about it. You know, we're like 13, maybe, I don't know, fourth grade is what I remember. And, and at that point, it was, like I said, just for fun. And we're just get goofing off eating candy on the chairlift. Like I didn't, wasn't trying hard by any means or listening to coaches. You know what I mean? Even though they're trying to corral you and get you to have technique and these things. It had just snowed maybe, um, maybe six to 12 inches. And we were out on a run called Holiday. It's a bump run. And I had always gone around the moguls the way you think you're supposed to. And in this case, for some reason, I think it probably had to do with a sugar high. I just like let him run and straight lined this pretty steep run and realized that I didn't actually have to turn. I could just like touch <laughs> off the top. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> big mountain skiing was born. <laughs> it was so fun, right? Was there, was there an losers. adult, was there an adult like chomping on their fingernails with fear behind or in front of you somewhere watching this go down? Yeah, we had coaches and it was very much a click, a clicking aha of like, oh, wow, this is really fun. And uh, that one moment uh, plus another few moments of really feeling flow, I came to experience flow states both in the mountains and then in group situations. The first time, again, that was like really, I took note, I was curious, was at a Warren Miller movie. Um, Our family always went uh, when I was little. It was like the one thing we did and and uh, went to the movies. And it was at that time when I was growing up, it was like a rowdy concert. And I like, I'm like young, but I'm like getting beer spilled on me. And it's just the coolest thing ever. And somehow I'm in this cool kids concert is what it felt like. And the way the music came together with everyone in this room all together, you could feel that everyone was having a special moment. And and I, I can't really explain it other than that, but I've come to learn that that's called group flow. Um, and those two things really, um, got my curiosity going. I have to ask you because I feel like flow state is like a term that we've all sort of come to know like in the last 10 years, but how how did you think of it or what words or vocabulary did you attach to it as like a fourth grader, if at all? I didn't. I didn't ever even speak about it. I didn't have words for it. No one ever talked about something like that. It was much later when I was at a pivotal time in my life when I went back to that in a big decision. So do you remember that moment though? Did that change sort of your intention around skiing and be on the mountain where you're like, Oh, 
something, the hook is set. You knew it was set. I remember being at a ski camp as a kid and sold in Austria and someone was diagramming the turn and we were talking about foot pressure and it's Andre Arnold doing his thing. And I remember being like, oh, I'm home. This is how I want to talk about everything from now on. Like this technicality, the all the feeling. I remember that clearly where I was standing below him watching. I remember that moment. I love that that's how your brain cued into it. My brain would never have cued into it that way. <laughs> like technicalities and oh, you're just like, nyang, nyang, nyang. and I'm like, huh? Like there's birds over there. They're like, see the fox trail? <laughs> and I guess that's my point is like, it can house so many different brains and challenge us in, in all, all so many ways that we're all looking differently to be challenged by. So I love that story. In some of the mountain sports, people either come to this life because they're talented and driven and get luck and or have some skill and all of those things that make a career. But there is a tradition of people who are in these other sports, but came out of more formal environments. Like you may be a dancer, but you were a, you know, you were in ballet or you, you know, you had some kind of classic training in, in, in skiing and snowboarding. I think of Jeremy Jones, for example, but a lot of the best skiers had some of these, you know, whether they liked it or not, some very formal training. Do you think that was important to you being in a racing club beyond the social aspects of it and, and sort of the framework of just getting you skiing every day? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I mean, you and I have talked. Technique is like everything, right? That's going to be the thing that allows us to be athletes forever. And so I absolutely, my coaches and the technique that I learned through ski racing, I'm so grateful for. Does that answer your question? Yeah. yeah. You have this child now and you get to do it yourself or <laughs> wreck it yourself. We are always talking about how do we set the hook? How do we get the, you know, the endorphins and the patterning so our kids love to suffer on the chairlift and it's freezing and we're, you know, chasing pow. But that's exactly the stuff that I wanted to, to ask you guys about today. <laughs> <laughs> Hot chocolate and gummy bears. That's all you need to know. Oh, you're tired? Candy. Let's go in. Yeah. Candy. But do you that's what my dad did. That's absolutely my dad's strategy too. It works. Well, maybe that that answers the question because I are you thinking about how you'll introduce this new family member to your life? Because let me just be totally honest. Your life sucks right now. And it's it's not good. And you know those parents out there with little kids, I'm sorry. It gets better and better and better. And Lisa's, Lisa's like- Lisa's just shaking her head. Shaking like, her you're head. the worst, Kelly. I just think- Right now, like it, it's so fun it's, to hang out just, with my girls and ski with my girls. Her life doesn't suck, but it's no, hard. It, it has it, there's hard things about it. But compared like to where her sleeping. life's going, it's gonna suck. Yeah, it's, it's sucky. It's true. It does. Get, it gets even. I'm more just saying, rad. you have no idea how rad your life is gonna get. Oh, it's and you're right. You're better? growing this. Yes. Oh, you're you're wait till wait it's till like you, this. It's like this. I mean, it is crazy how to go venture with your kids. Okay, but you guys baby snuggles and like just like the way I woke up. She's like the, these little sounds that came out today. I'm like. Uh, that's the cutest thing. Yeah, no, they are, the they are adorable. That's the crack that yeah. gets you hooked. Yeah. Oh, man. Just I'm hang in. in there because it really is like traveling and adventuring with your kids. You know, it's interesting. Juliet and I are very fortunate. We were a family of skiers and we live in, in California and are able to ski. But one, skiing with our kids is one of the first sports we could do as a family. Exactly. It's like the only one. I mean, exactly. honestly, maybe, I mean, uh, electric know, mountain bikes, maybe yeah, we, we it, bike, otherwise. we bike a little bit together, but, um, water, it's not, water on a boat. You can be all together. Yeah. We do like, we do river trips and bike, but like, I could literally even care less about the actual skiing part of skiing with my kids. Like I honestly enjoy being on the chairlift with them as much as I enjoy skiing. 
because it's like nobody's on their phone. It's beautiful. You can, you know, like everybody's just a, like it. The chairlift is like this moment that is so special. And I had no, I never like, got bored ripping, like just ripping GS turns. You know, on and when I was a kid, I was like, Fine. come on, chairlift, end, end, end. Let's get off the chairlift. And now as a parent, I'm like, this is the greatest time of my day. So it's let me, let special. me ask you this. This may be way too personal. So forgive me. And coming from a father who doesn't understand. Um, Here we go. Oh my God. I can only speak to my own experience. My wife is a, such an amazing athlete and she didn't love being. So I have heard from yes. many. Yes. She didn't necessarily love being pregnant. Oh, that was so hard. They it was not, hard. It was hard. They do not tell you how hard that is. <clears throat> yeah. I found that to be very hard. Well, I think partly because so much of, um, for me, so much of what I do that brings me joy is about being super physical. And just to not feel good in my body and physicality and, you know, just feel big and struggle to just move. Like that was really hard, I think, you know, because I, I'm someone who was just using my body all the time. So, so that I think for me was the hardest part of it. Did you have that at all? I'm so glad to hear that that was the hardest thing for you because it was so hard. The last three months. Oh, I like brutal. you, like my mental health comes from being active and I couldn't do anything. I actually had more water than they like to see they were sending me to specialists and um, doing all these extra tests and it was ended up fine they still don't know i was why i was carrying more water but oh my god i was the ocean and like <laughs> oh my god i so feel you so i got to tell you this story so when i think it was georgia was born and like the next day kelly goes and gets like i'm still in the hospital i think like one night there or something or two nights and Kelly goes and gets me like a shake and a burger like i ate a shake and a burger but in one day i lost 30 pounds because literally like my thighs, I remember actually looking down at my thighs and having this out of body experience because I'm like those things that look like they're my legs, there can't be my own legs. And they just, I mean, I literally in one day like lost 30 pounds of water weight. It was insane. Same thing. I had like the same, like I just bloated up with water. Yeah, literally same. Yeah. Okay. It's a weird feeling. I'm, um, I'm going to hijack wait, this question. I got to, I got to, I got to hijack. Cause I, you know, I still got to go on a little bit of backstory because you know, you grew up in Sun Valley fell in love with skiing, have these like amazing moments that you weren't even able to describe into flow state. But then you go to school to become a graphic designer, if I'm not mistaken, if, you know, correct me if I've got the history wrong. And so you kind of took a detour and then after that became a professional skier. So like- And not just a professional skier. Yeah, I mean like, you know- A ripper. A total massive major epic ripper. So tell us a little bit about, you know, how did you go from- Growing up skiing in Sun Valley to being like, I'm going to become a graphic designer artist to thinking, wait, maybe that's not my path. Really good question. Thank you. Yeah. So where I left off was I got pretty good pretty quick and I didn't realize it, but all the coaches had me on this track. I was on the Olympic track and like, I didn't realize it, but they were starting to fundraise for me. And by the way, I am, I'm one of those kids. I haven't made it clear and I want to make it clear that I am one of those kids that got all a bunch of scholarships and was supported by my town. You know, my family couldn't afford two of us going to many thousands of dollars to go to race, be in these race programs, all the traveling, everything. I wasn't even aware, right? To me, it was just like what we did on Saturdays. And then, then all of a sudden I was getting out of school and, and then all of a sudden I was traveling all the time. And then I was going to Europe and <laughs> until uh, one day... I didn't even know what my points were. Like I got pretty good at speed events. And then they had this fundraiser and they gave me this t-shirt and I, you know, meeted and greeted people at this fundraiser along with several others of, of our ski team. And 
And when I took it off, I read it and I was like, oh my God, it said Olympic Development Fund. And then it said like, I was second in the nation and I had no idea. And (laughs) I realized then that I had a coach and I remember the moment where he was like, you could do it if you want. And I'm like, you want me to go to the Olympics? Uh, (laughs) And I couldn't handle it, to be honest. I crumbled in the pressure and it didn't seem like a fun path. And I stopped performing well and I felt terrible. I felt like I let down my whole town. I realized I, I had all kinds of issues around like people pleasing and my value came from my, how I was doing. Anyways, so they kind of put me out to pasture. That's what happens when if you're not going to be on the Olympic track, then you go to college. And so the thing that I cared a lot about was art and studied art and graphic design at MSU in Bozeman, Montana, where I, I did get a ski racing scholarship. But for anybody who knows ski racing, it's like, Sure, you can get some help to go to school, but it's not like you're going to... Right. You guys... It's not going to foot the whole bill by any measure. It's slightly different than basketball. (laughs) It's not like a football scholarship. Yeah. So, and and I'm curious how this worked for you guys as like kayakers, because I know it's very... Oh, like standing in a a shower, ripping up $20 bills. There's zero money (laughs) and zero future. And and even our friends who went to the Olympics, they were able to... Those that were successful were able to pivot into a business, Mm. take that experience and those connections and the training and the discipline and actually use the promise of sport, which is growth through adversity into something else. Not you win the gold medal. And as you know, that's not, you go back to who you are the next second. Yeah. And for me, the most mainstream sport I did was rowing, which is not a mainstream sport and there's no money in it. Right. That's what I did in college. You know, and then I switched over to whitewater paddling where there's definitely, I mean, you know, in other countries, there's actually money, you know, athletes can make money in other countries because it's a, you know, it's like taken very seriously as a sport, but in this country, it's such a fringe sport. So yeah, we just, you know, had weird odd jobs and, you know. All my kayaker friends are the same, like really so much character, but it's not an easy path. No, no, it's not an easy path. I, sp- I spent a lot of winters working in the North Face warranty department to fund my summers. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> I poured espresso. <laughs> I served ice cream. And worked in, worked in kayak shops. Yeah, that, that works. <laughs> this is so interesting. If your daughter's like, mom, I know you're like one of the best ever. I want to be a big mountain skier. I want to venture travel. How do I get there? What? I mean, for you, it looks like it's a dot. Oh, you're like the chosen one racer. You go to college and then you just well, become the greatest I mean, skier of all time. Lindsay just went and bought like the pamphlet in the bookstore in the 80s That's right. and 90s. How and to succeed that path. in a sport as a, an extreme sport as a woman. How, what would you tell your daughter about your path to the next step? How does one become a Lindsay Dyer? Is that even possible? How do you become one of the greatest skiers of a generation? Oh, that's very nice of you to say. I'm probably not. I just happen to um, um, have jumped in and and got lucky. And then I just haven't quit because I really love it. Is that part of it? Yes. And also I did get lucky. Like I think intuition, you know, a lot of things lead you that way. Mine was actually a pretty sad story that pushed me toward the skiing. I tried to go the way that uh, we're all sort of taught to go (laughs) and I felt like I failed. So it was sort of my like, well, I mean, just to be clear, I I, I kind of followed the pattern and I've told, I've said, I've shared the story a lot. So forgive me if I'm repeating myself, but kind of followed the path, the expected path, you know, and I got the best graphic design internship I could ended up in the city and getting paid well, like everything was great, but I felt like I was giving my life energy to somebody else's dream. And I, I wasn't able to be creative, even though it was a really cool tech job. And I was like, shoot, if I'm not going to make it in this path, the expected path that I've always 
you know, followed because that was what they said would make you happy, then what would make you happy? And that's where I really had to dig deep and go back to those slow moments because for me, it didn't, nothing else. How old were you when that, when you had that conscious change? It was a tough moment. 19. It was my first job, my first real job. It was still an intern and I was going back for my senior year of college after that. And it pivotal moment for sure. That's and right. how did that transition go? Like, was it a rough transition or once you like went Mom, all dad, in? I'm once, a skier. Once you, once you went all in and you're like, <laughs> you I'm a skier, out, like. Come out of the ski closet. Yeah, exactly. Maybe um, if, if my reading of the, the facts are correct, you kind of had some immediate success upon that transition. It might sound that way. <laughs> yeah. What was cool was I could finally put all that training to use for something that was meaningful for me versus just going along with it because that was the expected path. So that's when I started really appreciating that all those ski coaches and all that time in, in, in the gates and knowing how to train, you know? Uh, so I finally put it all to work without any else's help. And everyone laughed at me, literally. My best friends are still like, who do you think you are? And I started training and started going to those competitions and I, I won every one and no one cared. <laughs> I won seven in a row and I still couldn't get a pair of skis. Oh, I would love to go back and be like, I'll invest. <laughs> <laughs> Early Google with uh, Lindsay Dyer. Yes, I, yeah, I will, yes, I, I would invest in that. That's amazing. Well, so then the, the next year, my goal was to like, wouldn't it be fun if, and, and it was very much like playful, but also like, I'm going to send it, I'm going to try as hard as I can, you know, just to see. Wouldn't it be cool if I could get in one of those Warren Miller movies? Because I wasn't seeing any women in there and I knew I could ski better than the dudes that were in there. So I was like, why not try? And it just, like I said, that's where the luck opened up. But at, at the same time, it took three or four years. Like I said, it, I won the tour, but no one cared. And the next year I was able to just stay skiing by nannying for um, a very cool family. Being around young girls also made me a better person. And then ended up showing up for one of these team dinners in terms of the ski brand that had been ghosting me for two years and was like, hey, I'm here. <laughs> and they're like, oh, like a bunch of French guys, like your legs are too skinny to be a good skier. And that was not the right address. Or, but I'm like, yeah, play. I went with it. And, and afterwards they're like, hey, you know, thanks for showing up here. What can we do to help? And I'm like, I want to film. And they sent me to Jackson that night and I got my big break the next morning. That's amazing. That's so cool. So I do want to ask more about your films. But before I do, because this is near and dear to our hearts at the Ready State, because we deal with a lot of people with injuries, but you certainly have had some, a lot, large and small. So, sort of, what what sticks out to you, and how have you managed, you know, being a professional athlete and sort of managing recovering from injury, getting back, and then like taking, you don't ski, you know, taking care of your body. Tell us a little bit about your injuries, and then maybe a little bit about like what you're doing now, both as an athlete and as a new mom, to take care of your body so that you can keep doing all the things that you love. Yeah, that actually fits in really well with the story. So I get my first big break. I hit as many cliffs as I can. There's like four and stomped four like forty to fifty foot cliffs in one day, and hiking uh, over and over. And they said they'd never seen a girl do that, and I was like, oh sweet, okay, I'm doing okay. And then they all partied that <laughs> night and. I was the only athlete that showed up the next morning to a very hung up our crew. And <laughs> we had to hike out into the Jackson Hole backcountry. And then this first line I skied, I fell at the bottom. And I don't, it's not like something I do. It's certainly in the, in, in a zone like that. I could tell I was tired. And I said something 
And then it's another sad story, but essentially I wasn't clear <laughs> about not, not feeling good. And, um, I blew out my knee. So that was the first time I had a year to sit and think about the fact that I would never, ever let somebody tell me no matter how mean they were being what to ski or not, because it was my body. That was a tough lesson. Yeah. That's a tough way to learn that lesson. Yeah. We call this adversity through sport but it has nothing to do with the actual sport. These are all the lessons of sport, right? We're like, there's a big camera crew here and you're ready to go. And you know, and you're like, Hey, I'm not feeling it today. And I'm tired and beat up from yesterday. And I'm the only one here. And you know, yeah. that's but real how pressure. Hard is that? To I mean, no. it's really hard as a Impossible. young woman. Well, especially when someone's telling you like yelling horrible things at you that are totally yeah. not okay. But there's a lot of things in this sport that are not okay. <laughs> but I was too young to be like, fuck off. (laughs) I wanted to please. And I was like, you know, get in line, do what they want, please then. So when you came back, you know, oftentimes Juliet and I have a history of working with athletes, not the super phenom youngsters because they're fine. They don't want our help. But after people have been injured, they're like, Hey, what was that you were saying again? I can't ever do that again. (laughs) And now I'm here to pay attention. And we, we love that change of consciousness. And and that's happened with some of the greatest athletes of a generation who tore one ACL and they were like, Oh, we got it. And then towards the second ACL and they're like, we'll be on your house. Yeah. They're like, now we're listening. Right. You know, it's true. It takes two, I think, to learn the lesson sometimes. (laughs) It does take a lesson. How, how did that change how you prepared? Because you knew how to train. You knew how to come back. I didn't know how to come back. I'd never been injured before. It was horrible. It was one of the hardest things I've ever been through. And I frankly couldn't handle it the first time. I couldn't handle it. What couldn't you handle about it? Limitation, not being able to use my body. It was horrible. You know, I had put it all on the line and was back on my parents' couch. It was rough, man. It was so rough. uh, So in addition to sort of learning all the bigger picture lessons about, you know, people pleasing and not getting pushed around and so forth, like, do you feel like you were old enough at that point with that injury to realize, okay, I need to actually put some input into my body and take care of myself along the way? Or did that come later as with future injuries or future consciousness? uh, I think I always knew how to, when you say put things in your body, like, my mom is always recovery, well. yeah, nutrition, like sleep. I guess not consciously. You know, I think the thing that always saved me was art and um, being outside. No matter how I could get outside, it just ended up being like I got into meditation, I got into yoga, and um, and it was still rough. <laughs> <laughs> it is rough. Yeah, there's no, yeah. there's no easy yeah, way. Those through aren't that. trade offs. I mean, that's that. not a trade. At, at, at such a young age, too, I wasn't I, just not mentally prepared. And then, like, I don't know if I said, it, but it, it happened again a year later. Same knee? Other knee. Another stupid thing a, a photographer asked me to, I put on race skis because we knew we were going to uh, shoot on some groomers. And the photographer asked me to make the snow spray. And I was like, that's stupid. Of course I can make it spray. And I was used to big mountain skis, you know, that will slide. And these race skis just locked up and I didn't even fall. I just, <laughs> it was just the worst. It was the worst. I was like, no, no. That did not just happen. Literally, I had just come back, won another competition, and was done again. (laughs) And I was like, okay, I'm listening. What did I not get the first time? (laughs) Hey, guys, we just want to take a little break in this podcast episode to actually tell you about one of our own products, and that's our Ready State Virtual Mobility Coach. Yeah, the app literally is 
the first place you should go if you're trying to feel better, if you're trying to solve an old movement-related problem, if you're just trying to not be as sore from your workout? There is so much going on in this app. We have a mobility test that is comprehensive and designed by Kelly Starrett himself. It's pretty good. So you can figure out what your biggest limitations are and start to work on that. There are sports-specific mobilizations if you want to try to lift more or run faster. There is a pain area. And we even have a ton of bonus content. You can do challenges around squat and ankle and a bunch of other specific body parts so you can just generally get more supple and awesome. You should talk about this app more often. (laughs) We started the original mobility project back in 2010 trying to help people solve problems for themselves. We think that every human being should be able to perform basic maintenance on themselves. And we want you to be able to engage in some self-care in a really reasonable, responsible way. One of our favorite parts of it, daily mobility. You have a 10, 20, or 30-minute follow-along with me. If you just have a ball and a roller, think you want to feel better, move better, play along. I mean, we really feel like that's the base camp practice, and you can add in what you need. We're really proud of this and what we've created here, and we think you should give it a try. Head on over to thereadystate.com slash trial and use code POD20 for 20% off your first month. And just FYI, including your two-week free trial, that's literally six weeks for $11.99. You can't beat that. There's so much amazing content to help you feel better and move better for $11.99. In the words of our uh, podcast producer, bananas. Oh my gosh. So one of the things that happens in these moments is you had to go back to your social media team and your manager and wait, those things didn't exist. (laughs) You're that old. (laughs) You're doing all of this, managing your, these relationships. Traditionally, big companies haven't been really kind to athletes when they're injured and when they can't produce. Did you have any of those moments where companies that you thought were on your side weren't on your side and you it made you think differently about the relationship you had in the future? Yeah, that one came when I, I shared with, I thought, who were my friends that I wanted to get pregnant. That's when I learned the hard lesson about that. That first time, I still didn't have any like really solid, I wasn't making real money or anything, but it's when I said that I want to get pregnant that I was really surprised at how it was received. That was a tough one. Right now, we're just seeing, ju- I mean, there was a this Nike l- lawsuit. We're seeing that people are losing their health insurance. USADA, I mean, the US team funding is very strange. Let me just, for everyone who's listening, there's a shift now where our athletes who happen to be women, also women, are competing and are so good through their childbearing years that they're realizing instead of just retiring and have a baby, which is what we told women for decades and generations, just end your career and have a baby. Suddenly we're having a whole generation of women who are still the best in the world having women and companies are not set up for it. They're falling on their faces. It looks misogynist. It's terrible. Do you feel like there's, I mean, I feel like there's starting to be some change, but do you share that or you still think we're in the dark ages when it comes to that? Well, I thought that there had been change and that's why I thought that I was safe to say something (laughs) because I had seen other people ahead of me, Ingrid Backstrom, Kimmy, lots of examples in the- Alison Felix is a good one. Well, of course, Allison Felix. Yeah. So I was like, oh, we're set. We're good. I'm safe to share this stuff. And when it wasn't that, I was like, holy moly. Oh, gosh. So yeah, I think think we're getting better, but not quite there. And then also, I will say that then, just in the darkest moment when I thought all was lost, I heard from my existing ski sponsor, Fisher, and they want to sign me for another couple of years. So I'm like, okay there's still hope and they actually see value. They're actually putting a decent 
serious support into like telling the story and doing a full video for the next two years. We're shooting to tell, you know, the backstory, the during pregnancy story, and then becoming a mother story. So, um, so I think it's coming around. Well, that's so awesome. So Go um, ba- back to your prolific film career. I know you were in a lot of movies before you made your own movie. Did I get that right? And what was that like to go from being the subject to being someone who had sort of creative and larger control role over it? Yeah, well, I l- realized that I, I was somewhat like playing a role. I was I knew what my role was for the for that 10 years, which is to be the smiley, bubbly blonde and make pretty powder tins <laughs> and just talk about how, pre- how much you appreciate things and giggle. You know what I mean? It's like that's what they end up editing in. So it's like that's the role that you're expected to play. And and I'm finding that I am appreciative. I do love being out there. And I also assumed that this film that was in my head would get made. And then it just hadn't been made. And I felt a responsibility. I walked out of this movie that I thought for sure was going to be the one where they were going to like connect with it. And I was, I was watching all the women leave this, this film with their like shoulders down. And I was like, no, no. <laughs> So I went into the bathroom, I remember that night, and I wrote down what I what I would need to do. And I knew that it was going to take a lot, but I had to try. And it, it was three and a half years of, again, people telling me like, this is never going to work. Like, uh, no one wants to see women in films. People have tried and they failed. You'd have to have a naked pillow fight to to watch that. Like, I heard all That's kinds bananas. of things. And then- we're, we're t- Wait, we're talking about like the 2000s, right? I mean, just everyone listening, this is recent history <laughs> for everyone. In our outdoors, yeah, yeah, we're not talking industry. about we're not talking about the '80s right now. We're no. talking about like recent history. Yeah. Let me ask you a question: Who were your idols in women winter sports? Did you have women or people that you were following that you were like you know who were you were stand, realized you were standing on their shoulders that they broken broken path for you? Was there anyone like that? There was no one publicly. Like I didn't follow ski magazines. I wasn't when I was a graphic designer. I was like trying to put that behind me, right? Like, hey, grow up. Like you're supposed to get in line. And uh, so I, I wasn't aware of any of that. Um, I knew Powder Magazine existed, and literally that day when I decided I was going to go for this, I called Powder Magazine, and I'm like, so uh, I have a question. How, uh, how do I do, like do this? And, and I don't remember what I said, but like I got transferred around a bunch. And I ended up talking to this intern who uh, I didn't know at the time. Uh, I'd never heard of her, but it turns out it was Ingrid Backstrom. And she's like, oh, yeah, so you should uh, get into some competing and do some contests. She was really nice. And and she's like, and then, you know, um, see how it goes from there. And I'm like, cool, thanks. Um, and at the same time, my cousin. I've never heard that story. That's amazing. Yeah. I love that you get transferred and then you're like, oh, hey, Ingrid. But I didn't know. I mean, no one knew, you know, that maybe she was probably movies. I just didn't watch that stuff. I didn't know. Um, And uh, at the same time, my cousin, AJ Cargill, was one of the pioneers. She was she was one of the first to be in these extreme skiing contests. She she really did live the dream. She like (laughs) set herself up, taught herself everything, brought herself out to to Jackson Hole, like became a a bartender to try and make it um, was like doing stuff with Shane McConkey and stuff like people never don't really know her name unless you're around here. But uh, she was truly pioneering. And and th- there were other women at the same time that everything they did. And I, it took me a long time to re- to learn about them and realize the shoulders that I was standing on that I had no idea about. So I, I do want to go back to your film because 
I have to think making one is really hard and especially under your specific circumstances, really hard. And like the only thing that I can sort of relate to is that we've written a bunch of books, although I still think the process of like writing and publishing a book is far easier than making a movie. So tell us about the process and then how was it received? I mean, like, how did it go? Yeah. Well, for me, it was like my theory was like, hey, if we just all put all our highlights in one place, we could really have an impact and show because at that point time there is like one girl maybe in TGR still didn't have any girls in their movies. There was one girl, it was Ingrid, and it was because Matchstick filmed her. And there were lots of us in little pockets. And I just knew if we just put all those highlights together, we could make a mark. And then I also wanted to showcase to little girls that you didn't just have to be a guy, that there was a space for you in in this stuff that gave me so much meaning, you know, like the, the giggling on the chairlift, the family time, and really, really try to capture that, the road trips um, when you're going on an adventure and that sort of thing. And, um, and then to capture it from young to old, because skiing is obviously one of the one sports that we can truly do for a long time into the 80s and 90s. Yeah, I just try to keep my feet on the ground, yeah. going fast, but on the ground. Yeah. So really to showcase like everybody who's into it from young to old as female and that they belonged out there in their own way. That's so cool. Last year, we worked together on a project you did with Fisher. Will you talk about that project? Yeah, this was awesome. It gave me an excuse to get to know you. <laughs> Supple leopard. <laughs> yeah, the uh, pandemic had just hit and I was really thinking about how I could serve the community the best. And I figured sharing all the techniques behind at least the success that I had known and then being able to reach out to experts like all of you for kind of the bigger picture in all of these categories was a dream. I had also had a podcast for a handful of years by then, and I love conversation. I really want to turn this one around because I have some parenting questions I need to ask you guys. <laughs> okay, I got one. I got one more for you. You know what it's like to come out of injury, and that's a terrible analog to return to sport. But here you've just done this thing that so many women have done and gone on to incredible greatness physically afterwards, having a baby, I think it was sort of gnarly. Like I could kind of keep up with Juliet. Then she had one baby and then I was behind and now she's had two babies and she's so tough and such a great competitor. And so it's made you a more gnarly woman in terms of you're more badass. I think you're way more badass. Have you had to do anything different to get ready for this season? Because there's there's a ski season upon you. Like it's it's your work time. I mean, not, I know you can ski year round now, but you have this babe how have you prepared differently for this season to get ready to do all the things you need to do as a professional skier? That's a good question. You keyed on something that I think is beyond getting ready. Like you said, being gnarly, a mom is gnarly. I've encountered the most pain I've ever been in being a mom, you know, beyond those injuries. And I thought those injuries prepared me for being a mom and maybe they did a little bit, but no. Let, I, let me, I, let me mansplain everyone. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The first trimester, my SI joint went out and it was, I didn't know, you know, I, I went to physios, I went to chiropractor, uh, I went to the needles, what do you call it? All the dry needle, all the things. And finally a chiropractor got it back in, but it was some of the most pain I've ever been in. And I was like, I was terrified. If I can't make it through trimester one, like how can I bring this baby here? So that really brought me to my knees. And then a couple of weeks ago, oh yeah, gosh. I mean, the last time we were trying to do this podcast, I had this horrible, my face blew oh my up, God, right? Yes. I like, I have all kinds of weird allergies, not allergies, but like, I don't know. I'm just so much more sensitive now. 
And then last week I got uh, mastitis. Oh, yeah. And that is the yeah, most yeah, painful yeah. That thing. Hurts. I'm laying in bed at night and I'm just, I'm realizing that I have to figure out, like, I'm looking at it like it's just pain. You know, like it's so gnarly that it's like really pushing my mental capacity of what we can stand. It's just pain. It's just the body, you know, just like really heavy stuff. And if you've never been in a lot of pain, you, you wouldn't ha- be pushed there. So that's just that stuff. But in terms of getting ready for ski season, um, you know, I've done it every year forever. I'm loving it. I'm loving just having the opportunity to try to get back. Thanks to grandma here, giving me like 20 minutes a day so I can swing some kettlebells, get some deadlifts in. And today I got to go for a run. I'm like, ah, yay. And you, <laughs> and, and you took a shower. So I mean, yeah, you got, yeah, I'm like, wait, you took a shower. Yeah. So, I mean, if maybe you could just, again, I know all this has been blown up given that you've had a baby, but I think I've heard you say in the past that like focus in on daily habits and sort of that's the key to your performance. But what are those? Because, you know, Kelly and I are working on this book called Built to Move that's sort of all about our basic habits that we follow as we think people have overcomplicated the basics. But like, what are the sort of things that are like you must do no matter what? And ha- and let me say, how did those things survive the baby test? Yeah. Did you lose any of those habits? No, that, I mean, that's my like, I, I can't live without it, right? I can't. I'm realizing, yeah, it's being outside, getting sunshine, taking deep breaths a lot. Yeah. Breath work outside, even just a walk. At one point during my pregnancy, it was just getting outside on the deck and, and doing some breath work, you know, and breath work means like <gasps> five deep breaths, <laughs> 10 deep breaths, yeah. you know, soaking up some sunshine. And then, yeah, also not having any help with childcare until, you know, the past week or so with, with grandma here, it's really pushed me because I don't get to exercise and, and get all those things that are, I realize are, are just a luxury. I've really had to go back to my breath work. And 11 minutes is what I get. And that's, I make it count. I have this idea and uh, someone can make it and then, and then credit me, just send me my mailbox money. Let's hear it. It's a stroller that has resistance. It's basically like a sled for working parents (laughs) that if you can get out there and you can push a sled, that's your, also your baby stroller. Lisa, you think I'm crazy? What do you think, Lisa? The prowler. It's the baby prowler. Just because you're so desperate to try to breathe hard and work it in and, get your kid out there and you haven't eaten and you know, the house is a mess and it's gnarly. That was my solution. A mechanical solution. Maybe we could support young parents. No. Yeah. I mean, for for us, the, um, the only version we had of that was the Deuter kid backpack of which our kids spent half their lives in that thing. Cause we're like, all right, once they could get out of like the front thing and they could go in a backpack, it was like, we're gone. You know, what age is that? Cause I'm still got her on the front yeah. and I can go for a walk and I'm like, sweet, I got a 20 pound weight. Yeah. 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 It was like seven or eight months because the reason we you remember is we, yeah, they, when they can like really hold their head up, they can go in that backpack. So it's you're soon. She falls asleep like instantly though. And then she's like, and it's so, I'm like, oh, it's not Our right. daughter Georgia would do that in the Deuter backpack, though. She'd just be, we'd be hiking along and her head would be like this. And she was and fine. okay with that? She was fine. Okay, good to know. And then good we also know. did this thing called the 10, 10, 10 at 10, which was at 10 p.m. It would be like 10 kettlebell swings, 10 burpees, 10 pull-ups for 10 minutes. That was like 10 yeah, of that, something that's our- at 10 p.m. for 10 minutes. I was always, I was like, well, I trained today. Count it, you know? That's it. The 10s. That's it. I, I've been waiting for that. Yeah. Okay. And if you forget... Just text us and we'll tell you what it is again. <laughs> 10. <laughs> but you'll remember the 10, but then you're like, wait, what am I supposed to do at 10? Yeah, it doesn't matter. Your body is so amazing. And, you know, people don't 
quite appreciate that those of you who are mutants, you two, your body has an innate memory to come back and your brain is still your brain. And you just have to reconnect the dots a little bit. Do you remember the uh, Zamparelli? He was the runner in Unbroken. He was the guy who was, you know, shot down and then, you know, lived in the raft for like two months with his friends eating seagulls. And then he was in a concentration camp. He ran in the Olympics and he ran a 405 mile, 403 mile. And then he came back after all of that and ran like a 404 mile. He was one second slower after years and years of abuse on his body. I'm just saying it's, you don't need to stress. It's all there. Well, I'm surprised actually, I assumed it would be in reverse, but so it snowed here a bunch 10 days ago. And, uh, I just came back from Maui. I've been trying to learn how to kite weed and water stuff. And uh, I thought for sure it was going to be terrible trying, but I hiked the pass and then skied and I'm skiing better than I ever was. And I, I don't know if it's because I miss it so much. I was pregnant all last winter and it wasn't a good year. All the things, I don't know, but I got these turns that happened not very long ago. And I, and I was also first on the boot pack with the boys and I was, so it was a surprise. So that's all I'm saying. I'm just saying the life is good. It's almost I like- I think motherhood is a superpower. It is a superpower. It's a superpower. As, as a mother. Yeah. <laughs> I just look right at Lisa. I said, just so before we lose our window with you, what are you working on? Do you have anything special you're working on in, besides running a professional career and having a, being a mother? Do you have any special projects or things you want to talk about? Like what's, yeah. you know, there's- Or a, like, you, what are you looking forward to? You're in deep learning to? right now. Exactly. I'm really back into art in a big way. Like I said, this this whole motherhood thing has made me a better person in that I, I only get so much time, you know, and so I'm like, what am I really going to do with it? And also, I learned a lot in uh, the last couple of years of trying to be an athlete. <laughs> and I really want to make an impact for wildlife. Um, and I've been trying to ask myself for a long time, what is that going to look like? And when I was little, I thought I'd have to go into politics. And then I was like, oh, I suck at politics. I, I like, so I guess I failed. And I think that if I can... Um, really put some work into my art, I can do some fundraising and I'm really trying to move the needle for wildlife and roads specifically. And uh, I just trying to chug along at, you know, one thing a day towards that. In addition to the the few other things you have going on. I love it. I love it. That's so great. Where can people follow your exploits? Where do we see? Find you, support what you're doing. I get a very big stoke on your ski videos. Well, I can't wait for you guys to come to Alaska with me. Um, I put on a trip once a year. And like you said, to get to hang out with your friends is uh, in the mountains is as good as it gets and your family. So uh, start training because, <laughs> you know, we have a trip going on at the end of March in case you want to join that one. And uh, yeah, what else? Where do we find you on the socials? So I'd prefer, look, unicornpicnic.com. That's my art. And uh, anyone who supports that stuff, it goes to supporting women and wildlife and girls outside. Yeah, unicornpicnic.com. And then when do I get to ask you some questions? Hit it. We've Hit saved it. a little bit. That's Hit why it. I was Let's trying go. to wrap it up. Let's go. The official stuff. Go. Speed round. Yeah. Juliet. So pa- it's parenting and working together. <laughs> like how do you guys parent and work together and communicate with each other, communicate with your community? You know, I did some research on you behind the scenes and beyond the blog and I know that a lot of people in your community really look up to you as a couple and as a family. So how, number one, do we get to make rad kids? And how do we stay in good rad relationships between partners? 
as athletes. Well, on the rad kids front, I always like to tell everyone, I'm like, wait, you have to wait to answer, ask me that question when my kids are like 27, because I feel like I'm still deep in the experiment. And early uh, right now indicate. I feel like early tests indicate that they're good kids and they're doing well. But I'm also like, man, it's not till they're like 27 where you're like, okay, okay, maybe we did a good job here. But I mean, we're, you know, we like to have always tried to just spend a lot of time with our kids and be present and around and show up for everything. I mean, I think that's kind of our philosophy. That's one thing I learned from my mom. Like my mom was the parent who like showed up for everything. Everything. But how do you do that when you're also leading your own business and having to, you know, stay educated and all the things? Uh, see, what you're looking at this wrong way. Because we yeah, run because, our own business, we because get Because we to, run our own business, we get to decide how, you know, I mean, that that's... Right. There's certain stressors that we take on because we run our own business, but then also we can choose when to work and when to, you know, show up for our kids. And when they were little, we could always like go to their band concert or their choir concert or whatever. So, I mean, I really think we've tried to kind of design our life so we can be present and available for them. We play. Then, yeah, we play. We do a lot of adventures and, and travel. travel. Like outdoors, yeah. outdoors, outdoors has yeah. worked for our family very well. Yeah. And then, I mean, as for us working together, I mean, it's not, I mean, I will say it's not always easy and we definitely get, Lisa's like, yep, we get in little tiffs. Even sometimes Lisa has to break us up. No, I mean, it's not always easy and we always have to be kind of navigating and negotiating. I mean, literally everything. But it's not, it's not so, it's not like a thing. That no, we I mean, I think we've sort of, you know, we figured out our cadence and how to work together and when, when to say, okay, that really bothered me when you did X and when to say, okay, it's just. That's how it goes sometimes. We did this thing, and you may have heard of us talk about it, called the feelings meeting. And it comes in and out. But once a week, I think, when, especially when you're in the shit, which you are right now, Juliet and I would sit down, and it's on the schedule, feelings meeting, and we would talk about our relationship formally in that moment as married couple. And like, what's going on? How am I doing? Like what's working? What's working how in can our I parenting? Support you? What's bothering you? And, there, and the only rule is no defensiveness. You just get to be. And so what? there's a lot of stuff that you know might irritate you or I might irritate Juliet. And then it gets, you put it on the list and you get to talk about it Wednesday. At, you know, we would, uh, we, we had, there was a local place that had this drink called After Fairy. And it was like mint and strawberry and vodka and deliciousness. And we put it After Fairy in front of us. And then sometimes. We're like, go. Go. And like, how it's going. And I feel like that really helped to just have a moment where we were like, oh yeah, we're still in this. This is a formal business meeting. And and the working together thing, people are already working together. You're running a household, you're doing laundry, you're co who's cooking, who's cleaning, who's doing all that stuff. And I think it's just an extension. I can't actually imagine working with anyone else. It wouldn't work without you. As my I think also just to sort of add one more thing, I think the other thing that helps is that we do have so many shared values um, like we both came from divorced parents with sort of like unsteady childhoods. And we were like, we do not want that for our kids. Like we were motivated to do the work, to kind of have a tight, close family, to sort of change course from like what our older generations presented to us in terms of parenting. And then, you know, I think the other thing that's funny is like we have a lot of the same instincts as parents too. Like I always think of myself as like this like hippie former river guide, but it's like, I think I'm like one of the more strict parents um, are we? I mean, you are too, Lisa. So I didn't expect that. I was like, oh, I'm just like, hey, whatever goes kind of person. And then it turns out I'm not at all that and what person. what does that mean, strict? Oh, wait, like our mean? kids have like, like this is when we go to bed. This is what time you have yeah. to be home. Yeah. This is what we expect for you at school. Yeah. Like yeah. I'm, I'm not the parent that like says to my, you know, third grader, like, I'm not going to brush my hair before I go to school because I don't feel like it. I'm just like, no, you need to brush your hair. That's, you know, I'm a little bit like, 
Do you want There's strawberries? Some ways you need to show up in the world. Or do you want cantaloupe? Yeah. Like you get a choice in this. But so here's another question: Are you? I know you want probably want to go. Oh, you're fine. You, this is fun. I have two questions: How do you stay athletes given the business that you run, uh, knowing all of the sides that you have to take care of, and then? In terms of the the stuff you're expecting from your kids, I'm curious what it is. Is it like you have to do two sports? You don't have to do them well, but blah, blah, blah. You have to take a music lesson or blah, blah, blah. What does that look like? Oh, yeah. So I read one time that like the most well-rounded kid is like one who takes like a music, a sport and a language. And my kids have done all those things and then like landed on sports. So who knew? But, you know, one thing that was really influential to me is our friend Corby is an art teacher actually at Proctor Academy on the East Coast. And they have like their own little ski hill with like a chairlift and everything, this cool boarding school. We went and visited him when our daughter Georgia was little and Caroline wasn't even born. And one of the things that really stuck with me is the way the schedule works there at this boarding school is all the kids have school until three o'clock. And then from three to five, Every kid at the school, you know, there's like three or 400 kids at the school. They're required to do a physical activity. Now, they offer a massive wide range of physical activity from dance to yoga to martial arts to skiing to, you know, more traditional sports. But I thought it was like such a cool thing that it was like, okay, they're just putting the, you know, they're saying, okay, this is our value that everyone, regardless of whether you're an artist or an athlete or whoever you are, like everybody needs to move their body. Um, that's universal. And so that was kind of the philosophy we took on. We're like, you have a choice as to what you want to do to move your body, but not if you move your body. And we'll support whatever it is. You know, if you want to do gymnastics or martial arts or, and our kids have tried so many of those things. So that was kind of our value is like the fact of movement is not a choice. I don't care how you do it, but you have to move. Yeah, yeah love that it. was it. You know, and, and we'll support whatever that is. You don't need to do things that we like. We're like, if you want to, I don't know, like hip hop dancing, great. Our kids are very different. Georgia loves to I mean, bake and I, hang I can't out. Do and that. she's turned her baking into a subscription bakery, <laughs> which is super cool. Shout out Georgia's Bake Shop. But, you know, she doesn't have this crazy genetic drive to move. I am a little ADD and like like to fidget and move and have to be active and want to play and and Georgia has come to really like those things, you know, and that she likes to go train and she, you know, turned out that water polo was her knack and she likes to ski and so, you know, Again, it's like no one likes to eat vegetables. No one likes to go to bed. You know, what What do, what do whiners get? Whiners get naps. There's just some things that like these are non-negotiables of learning how to be a human being. And then I just wanted to add one more thing that is crucial for Juliet and I think is that we play together. We haven't lost that. Like she's still my number one. Let's go boating. Let's go skiing. Let's go ride mountain bikes. And we discover our own world that we don't pick up a new sport without the other person because our time is so limited anyway that I'm like, dude, I'd really love to go fly fish or surf, but my wife isn't there and I can't pick up this whole other sport. And that works for other people. They need their time apart, but that just didn't work for us. Especially not in this like deep kid raising phase of our lives, right? Like where really all we have time to do is like get some exercise in, run our business, raise our kids and like have a few friends on the side. Like there's just not a lot of free time in there, you know? So we have to be tight. And I mean, exercise wise, you know, we've just always figured out a way to prioritize. I mean, when my kids were little babies, I went back to my law firm and was working full time as a lawyer. And I mean, the only time I could exercise was if I exercise at 530 in the morning, which I now will never do. But I was like, I need to move. And this is important to me. So what about like athletically like goals and stuff? Like I have these goals that are still driving me and I'm a little bit like, eh, is that, can I do that and be a good mom or? Yep. Um, 
Yep. Totally. 100%. In oh fact, my just, God, 100%. you just bring your kids along. Yeah. They get to witness it. I mean, tell about, talk about modeling. I mean, if you watch How your, cool is that? you get to see you're a, you're a woman and you get to watch your mom grow up and change an industry and do rad stuff. I mean, you just, you, your kid is part of it. I think that's the thing is that you don't have to separate. Well, I think there's this belief system that's like, oh, you're supposed to get over that. Like you're supposed no, to no, get no. beyond that. You got, that's so selfish. You know, I mean, in my own family, people are like, you need to stop getting you stay out of those mountains now. You're a mom now. Like, and I'm just like, yeah, yeah, uh, uh, you're right. I don't know, but that's who I am. And maybe only throw one Ford flip instead of two Ford flips off the, off the cliff. That's, that's <laughs> where you have to dial it back a little bit on the Ford. I'm going to tell them you said that. He's a doctor. Yeah. He's a doctor. Listen to what he said. Shredology. Yeah. Shredology. <laughs> I, you know, I think, um, obviously your life changes and people say dumb stuff like you can have it all or whatever that even that's, means, but that's, that's, that's total horseshit. But man, I mean, you can still be your own individual with like dreams and goals and still be an awesome present parent. Those things can exist in unison in my strong opinion. And I'll lastly just say is that you're not the first person to do this. You know, women have had babies and gone off to, you know, have do rad stuff. And um, but were they good parents if they still did rad stuff? You know? Oh, yes. 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 Oh, yes. yes. For yes. sure. And there are probably some not good parents out there, I you mean, know, but, uh, but I know. think the fact of doing rad stuff does not in and of itself. Like, I think I think that that's amazing and what a model you are for your kids. And I, lastly, 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 you don't have any time to mess around. One of our super secret weapons is to hire working mothers like Lisa's over here and she's got, she just had yeah, to like zip working out. Working moms get shit just, done. They really, she's had to zip out during this podcast, pick up her kid and she's back and she'll get it done. So working mothers are the most untapped superpower in this country. You just don't have time. You're going to look at your old I life and be like, am. what did I, I do am. with those hours? Yeah, you're like, like, I had so much free oh time. My God, yeah, yeah, you thought yeah. you were stressed and yeah. worked and you weren't. You were just so lazy. <laughs> I have two kids. Holy moly. I still don't even know how you go to two. I'm one. I'm like, I don't get it. I don't know how they do you're too, well, it. Took us, to it took us three years to even think about having yeah, a second one. So, it, you know, the, there'll be it. a point where you're like, oh, okay, okay. I can see it now. And you did yourself a favor. You had a woman. Good job. Oh, she's so rad, you guys. Oh, my God. I can't wait for you yeah. to meet her. We can't wait to meet her. It's so awesome. Lindsay. We got to go skiing. We got to get the family together. And go shred. Your Deal. word's not mine. I'm I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> Okay. Thank you so Thank much you for so carving much for out time for us. us. All right. Great, great night, you guys. What a treat. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Ready State Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, check out all our episodes here or at thereadystate.com. And be sure to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes to help others find our show. Check us out and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Ready State. Until next time. Cheers, everyone. You got it.